outrageous book that, or pamphlet that he wrote about theodicy or the question of evil, why a good God allows evil. And it's uh, basically saying, well, we all know that God is all-powerful um, and, and, all, and, and he's also good. Uh, therefore, there can't be anything such as good and evil because, because God couldn't permit evil. So there's no good or evil. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's kind of a silly uh, immature argument, but but that's kind of the direction he was going as a young man was into this, you know, really provocative radical skepticism, and he came to a point where he, I think he still harbored some of those doubts about maybe even God's existence. I don't I don't know, um, but he he came to realize that that you just can't live like that. That was the voice of Thomas Kidd. He teaches history at Baylor University. He's associate director of Baylor's Institute for Studies of Religion. And he's our guest this week on Radio Free Acton. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. My name is Mark Vandermas. Pleased to be your host this week on the podcast. And uh, as I said, we'll be talking with Thomas Kidd. Uh, Andrew McGinnis will be uh, doing that interview for us. He's a brand new voice on the podcast. He's our editorial director and a research fellow here at the Acton Institute. And he will be talking about, with Thomas Kidd about his uh, brand new book called Benjamin Franklin, The Religious Life of a Founding Father. Very interesting interview coming up in just a moment. After that, we've got another edition of Upstream with Bruce Edward Walker. Uh, I'll be talking with him today about Mavis Staples and her new album, I'll Take You There, an all-star concert celebration. Great album, and Bruce and I uh, go into a little detail on Mavis's life, uh, career, and music. So stick around for that. Without further ado, let's get over to Andrew McGinnis with Thomas Kidd uh, as they talk about Benjamin Franklin, the religious life of a founding father, here on Radio Free Acton. We are joined today at Radio Free Acton by Dr. Thomas Kidd from Baylor University. Uh, Dr. Kidd is Distinguished Professor of History and Associate Director of the Institute for Studies of Religion. Dr. Kidd, thank you for being with us today. Thanks for having me. We are uh, principally interested in uh, your new book, Benjamin Franklin, The Religious Life of a Founding Father, Yale University Press, uh, just out this year. As, as you note in your introduction, there are have been several biographies of Ben Franklin and even his own very popular autobiography. So what in particular drew you to uh, write another biography um, or to what what uh, was sort of the impetus for, for this new book? Well, a lot of my work before this point has been on 18th century religion. Uh, and I did a biography of the great evangelist George Whitfield, who was the most important evangelist in Britain and America in, in the mid-18th century. And they, uh, Whitfield and Franklin, had a long-term business relationship and friendship um, that, that was very unusual because Whitfield is an evangelical um, and Franklin is, is kind of a deist, he says in his autobiography, and we can talk more about exactly what that means. But... Um, I, I thought that, that was people have noted that friendship before, but I thought, you know, this is a really fascinating case to figure out what's going on with a man who, on one hand, says that he's a deist, um, but throughout his life, but increasingly, 
um, into the later years of his very long life, Franklin shows great sympathy for uh, Christians in his life, including George Whitfield, but also just biblical concepts. Um, and he's constantly using biblical phrases and biblical imagery. And so there seemed to me to be something there that, that went a lot deeper than just that simple description of being a deist and a skeptic that he gives us in his autobiography. So that sparked the idea that I could write something that it, it is a biography of Franklin, which is sort of endlessly interesting. We all mm -hmm. know, you know, his career as a printer and scientist and diplomat is, is just so interesting and fascinating. Um, but that I would take the religious dimension um, as the main focus, and that that was the inspiration for why I decided to do the book. Yes, and. As you, you start the book with this great uh, story of Franklin at the Constitutional Convention propo proposing that they pray at the opening of sessions, and as uh, you also discuss later, there was some uh, conversation about whether they should appoint a pastor to pray, which uh, most people I don't think would expect from Franklin. In fact, he ends up being one of the only people that's advocating prayer at the convention, right? That's right, and it's a peculiar episode because you think, well— so if he's a deist in the classical deist mode, he's not supposed to believe in prayer. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, we, we think of deists usually meaning people who believe in a cosmic watchmaker god who wound up the world and then let it go on its own and is not involved with humanity anymore. But um, it turns out that Franklin and, and actually many people who would describe themselves as deists in the 18th century actually still believed in providence, the providence mm -hmm. of God. Um, and therefore also believed that prayer probably did something. Um, and so Franklin is there, uh, and we've just passed the 230th anniversary of Franklin's speech on prayer, and um, he, he says, he reminds the delegates that back in the early days of the Revolution that they had routinely prayed in the Continental Congress mm -hmm. for God's help and protection, uh, often in that very same room in Philadelphia that they had prayed together, and they were bogged down and bickering about representation in Congress uh, and how the Constitution should handle that issue. And, and Franklin says, as we're groping, as it were, through the, the political darkness, why have we forgotten to petition the Father of Lights, he, mm. he calls God, which is a, a kind of a deistic title, but nevertheless, he's saying we, we should pray again for political guidance. And, and as you suggested, it gets even stranger uh, that Franklin the Deist is proposing that they pray, and very few other delegates at the convention thought this was a good idea. Right, right. And, and it, they say, well, I, you know, we'd have to hire a chaplain to do this, huh. and then what, what denomination is the chaplain going to be, and this, this would just make things even more complicated. Mm. But it, it, it speaks to that depth of uh, the religious interest and even religious practice in Franklin's life that I think is obscured by his story in his autobiography about becoming, mm -hmm. as he called it, a thorough deist. Right. So uh, he's uh, portraying himself in a particular way in his autobiography, and uh, uh, perhaps not as objective as uh, uh, the historian might be able to uh, to get at in his life, right? Right. So I want to go back to his relationship with Whitfield, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, and as you said, you also wrote a biography of Whitfield, which uh, the subtitle to that book was uh, America's Spiritual Founding Father. And the subtitle for your book on Franklin is The Religious Life of a Founding Father. And it, it struck me that maybe 
Whitfield and Franklin are both in different ways spiritual or religious founding fathers. Uh, there's some uh, religious traditions in America that spring from both of them. Uh, did you uh, find uh, do you find that to be the case? I think that's right. Uh, Whitfield, you know, it's it's a, a stretch, admittedly, to call him America's spiritual founding father because he didn't live into the revolution. So right. we, we don't know what what he would have thought about the revolution, but. In terms of religious influence on the founding generation, uh, Whitfield is is the preeminent figure. I mean, it, because he's so well known, um, by, by far the best known religious figure, um, and really celebrity of any kind. I mean, in, in politics or, or culture or whatever, he's the best known person in America um, on the eve of the revolution, and so he has this overwhelming evangelical Calvinist kind of impact on just rank and file Americans. And so that's, that's the explanation for, for why Whitfield would have that, that kind of role. Franklin, you, you wouldn't think of as a religious founding father um, because of his well-known skepticism about key Christian doctrines, including the divinity of Christ. Um, but I think he is the pioneer of a certain kind of American religion. Uh, Some might call it Christianity. Some might call it uh, still a a kind of deism. But uh, I call it a doctrineless, moralized Christianity, um, because Franklin, in his way, still saw himself as as a Christian. Um, And he thought that the original message of Christianity was really Jesus's moral teachings, and and he he took that very seriously. Um, it's it, you know traditional Christians, I would think I think would see Franklin's beliefs as deficient in the Christian sense, but nevertheless, Franklin thought that the main business of Christianity and any decent religion, he thought, is um, morality, um, service, charity, uh, kindness uh, to your neighbor. Um, taking care of the least of these, and and so he mm-hmm. he thought that we mostly could set aside doctrine um, and particular beliefs about God and just get to the business of uh, loving service and and uh, leave doctrinal debates and disputes and fighting. Uh, so much of which he encountered in his childhood as a in a Puritan family in colonial Boston. Mm. And um, that that really religion was uh, about the way that you live, and uh, I think that this this begins uh, a trajectory in American history uh, towards a kind of religion in which people say, well, it doesn't it doesn't matter so much what you believe, but you just try to do your best, and in the end, God will reward that. I mean that that today it's it's often peddled by kind of wealthy self-help superstars like Oprah Winfrey or uh, the, the writer Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. Um, you even see it in, in churches sometimes, with like with uh, Joel Osteen's, the Houston megachurch pastor, right. teachings about your best life now. And that, you know, let's let's not worry so much about about doctrine, but let's let's think about your best life now, which is a life of loving service and and uh, generosity and so forth. And 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 even though I think Franklin has a more uh, hard edged uh, sensibility about him than today's kind of self-help gurus, I, I, I do think that Franklin is a pioneer of that kind of doctrineless 
morality-focused kind of religion. And it's uh, that seems to complicate the question here bandied about is you know is is America a Christian nation or was it or in what sense right uh, because then we we have to ask the question of well which version of Christianity or what does that mean right i th- i think franklin definitely adds to the complexity there because on one hand we know franklin is is skeptical about key christian beliefs and and a traditional christian i don't think could say that he was a christian um on, on the other hand Franklin is so deeply familiar with the biblical tradition and and the Bible itself. He says in his autobiography that he read the whole Bible through by the time he was five, Mm. which I'm not sure I totally (laughs) believe that, but but that's what he says, and and he was a very bookish Mm -hmm. boy. Grew up uh, going to Puritan church services, catechized in his family. Um, he He knows the text of the Bible backwards and forwards. And so he's able to bring that into his uh, his professional life, and it comes up throughout his vast body of writings, uh, writings about theology, um, and and even more so, just references to the Bible. Um, you know, I, you see it in, in his prayer proposal at the convention. You see it in uh, a proposal that he and Thomas Jefferson made about the national seal of the new United States right. that they would have preferred would have been an image of Moses parting the Red Sea, hmm. um, which is uh, more biblicist, obviously, than the national seal that we ended up with, with, uh, you know, at least kind of a reference to God, but the e pluribus unum and all that is, mm-hmm. is, is not very biblicist. Um, so uh, it's a strange combination that you get these characters like Jefferson and Franklin who are skeptical about Christianity, and yet kind of in spite of themselves, they're leading out in the revolution with biblical images and biblical ideas, like all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with rights. Um, and so it's it's a real perplexing mix mm-hmm. of Christian categories, Christian rhetoric, um, but often being led, obviously in the case of Franklin and Jefferson, by skeptics. Right. And so it's a kind of a third way of understanding the founding. It's not either kind of all evangelical Christians, as you know, the founding fathers were not all, all evangelical Christians, but but you know they're not secular um, in a modern sense either. Mm. Right, right. Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly on the ground a lot more complex at the time than uh, than we often think looking back at it. And the complexity, too, I, I think, uh, of Franklin, uh, as, as you show in the book, it's fascinating. The paradoxes, I would say, or the contradictions even in Franklin's life and thought. Here's, uh, as you describe it, a man who's a proponent of doctrineless, moralized Christianity and very focused on uh, morality and yet he does a lot of what we would think are very immoral things. And I was, I, I was just, you know, one of the signs of a great book is it makes you, you know, feel all kinds of emotions. At some points I was angry with Franklin, the way he seems to abandon his wife and he's dallying with other women. Did you find yourself uh, perplexed or angry at some of these apparent contradictions in his life? Yes, I, I think repulsive is <laughs> a word that comes to mind. And, you know, and I think, People have this image of, of Franklin, especially later in his life, uh, once he gets into his 50s. He begins this series of relationships with uh, often much younger women um, that are at least uh, inappropriate, if not mm. outright affairs. Uh, meanwhile, uh, his his wife is uh, 
declining in health and for the second half of his life he's almost the whole time in England and then in France and his wife is back home in Philadelphia uh, growing more and more ill and um, he, and he doesn't return uh, to see her before he wow. uh, before she dies yeah. um, and and so it's a, it's a real problem we could also mention the problem with so many of the founders is that is that Franklin was also a slave owner. Mm-hmm. Uh, for much of his life. He only becomes outspoken against slavery at the very, very end of his life. Um, I think he has kind of an undeserved reputation of, of being anti-slavery because for most of his life he, he owned slaves and mm-hmm. also made a lot of money uh, advertising uh, right. slave sales in the Pennsylvania Gazette. And and so some of that we can just chalk up to blind spots, um, cultural blind spots that many of the founders had. But I think he also, uh, in a small r Republican sense, believed that the men of the republic, the the, the leaders of the republic, were obligated to public service, uh, self-sacrifice, um, serving the public good. But that if you did that, and Franklin undoubtedly did that in many, many projects. So the you know the first lending library in Philadelphia, the first hospital in Philadelphia, and he gave money to churches and even gave money to a synagogue in Philadelphia. Hmm. Um, so he was very committed to public service. But I think he may have, in his own mind, he never articulated this, uh, but but he may have sort of given himself a pass on some private. Uh, indiscretions um, that, that, you know, as we might say today, it's not hurting anybody, although I I know it hurt his wife to be treated this way. Um, And so, you know, that that public-private dichotomy about the most important kind of virtue is public virtue uh, may have been a way that Franklin excused this immoral Mm -hmm. behavior. And he refers to some of his uh, episodes and actions in his life as errata, which Iraq, maybe, that's right. right as you point out that uh, that seems like that may be a little bit of a, an understatement on some of that do you yeah i think it's he's it, yes as you suggested before his autobiography is very much his own apology for himself <laughs> and his own life and and um it's it's a kind of a a genre of autobiography where you fess up to a lot of the things that you did and 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 sort of a tone of well what can you do i was a bad boy and <laughs> Um, and in and it, 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 some ways, it's, it's kind of trying to make an excuse for your own, do, your own behavior. Do you get the sense that Franklin was ever convinced he was wrong about anything he did? Or did he ever show genuine humility? There's, it, it seems like he has a, uh, at times he sort of has a false modesty. Um, and even uh, this was one that jumped out at me. You, you note at the end of his life, he writes to John Jay that no one can justly say Ben Franklin has wronged me. Uh, did he have a sense of, of humility or that he that he was wrong? I think he definitely struggled with pride, um, as, as so many figures like Franklin do. I don't see a lot of evidence in, in the personal indiscretions and so forth that there was real contrition. I, I do think that he at least... Uh, one of the errata that he t- he talks about is is the uh, the extreme skeptical writings that he came out with as a young man. I think he really did see those as a mistake. I mean, one one of his earliest publications is this outrageous book that or pamphlet that he wrote about theodicy or the question of evil, why right. a good God allows evil, and it's uh, basically saying, well, we all know that God is all powerful. Um, and and all and and he's also good, 
therefore, there can't be anything such as good and evil because because God couldn't permit evil. So there's no good or evil. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a it's it's kind of a silly. Uh, immature argument, but but that's kind of the direction he was going as a young man was into this, you know, really provocative radical skepticism, and he came to a point where he, I think he still harbored some of those doubts about maybe even God's existence. I don't I don't know, um, but he he came to realize that that you just can't live like this. I mean, to undermining, you know, the traditions of morality and good and evil, that we, we all have to live as if there is good and evil, and the most obvious source of that is God. And so he, he really, as a, a mature man, backed way off of any kind of skeptical writings like that, and I think positioned himself as at least a church attender and someone who publicly respected uh, Christianity the Christians in his life, he 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 loved and respected, and so uh, that that's one area where he at least came to realize, that even if it wasn't contrition, that this this was just no way to live, right. um, and so that that's part of the reason why he backed off that radical skepticism of his youth. Yeah, that the human being is complex, and all of us in our own ways have those have those blind spots and um, struggle with those types of uh, questions. I. I uh, just, again, appreciate the book very much. Uh, uh, thank you for writing it. Uh, it's a fascinating read, and thank you for uh, joining us today. Uh, so th- uh, the book is uh, Benjamin Franklin, The Religious Life of a Founding Father, uh, Dr. Thomas Kidd from Baylor University. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It is always a pleasure to be joined in studio by Bruce Edward Walker, our chief cultural correspondent. I added chief. Uh, that means I think with that chief, you get like a 50% increase in your pay, Bruce. So uh, congratulations and welcome uh, once again to another edition of Upstream here on Radio Free Acton. Well, thank you, Mark. It brings to mind uh, what Nancy Culp, as Jane Hathaway, used to call Mr. Drysdale. Chief. <laughs> Yes, yes. You know, uh, I, I didn't want just a cultural correspondent. I wanted a chief cultural correspondent. So we've got that now, and that's good. And you are here today to talk about a real icon of American culture, Mavis Staples, uh, who is uh, now 77 years old, but still going strong, releasing a brand new live album uh, just recently. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who Mavis Staples is and, uh, and, and a bit about her history and her family's history? Certainly, Mark. Well, uh, Mavis began singing with her sisters behind uh, their father, Pops Roebuck Staples, who uh, not only was a a fine singer in his own right, but a a pretty great bluesy guitarist who uh, actually released albums on his own with Steve Cropper from the Memphis Stax Volt label. But uh, the Staples singers began uh, heavily steeped in gospel, and when they... uh, moved over to the Stax label, they started doing songs that were dealing with civil rights and and issues such as that, the contemporary issues of the day. And uh, they're, they're, they're wonderful, wonderful music. And uh, But it, the, the gospel never really escaped what they were doing. And they were uh, quite regularly seen at folk festivals during the, the folk music boom that uh, featured Bob Dylan 
and Joan Baez, Pete Seeger, and what have you. And a documentary that was shown on PBS just a couple of years ago, uh, Mavis talks about even getting a little frisky with with Bob Dylan uh, in between uh, performances, I, I read uh, in my in my cursory Wikipedia research that uh, Bob Dylan had actually even gone to the point of asking Mavis's father for uh, her hand in marriage. That's what that's what she claims in the uh, documentary. So that's uh, kind of interesting. Uh, the world would have been a much different place if uh, that had actually occurred. Well, uh, let's talk about the uh, the the new album, the live album. It's uh, an all star. Uh, all-star cast with a greatest hits lineup of songs. Is that a, fa- a fair way to, to characterize oh, it? Oh, absolutely. Uh, she revisits uh, songs that were key throughout her career with uh, a little bit of help from more contemporary artists, but uh, that's to be expected. Who wouldn't want to uh, hitch their wagon to the voice and reputation of Mavis Staples? I mean, she is a legend, and uh, if I had the ability to carry a note being on a stage with Mavis Staples and singing one of her, her classic songs would uh, be the crowning achievement of my own life. I think she's that good. Mavis Staples is now 77 years old uh, and she's really a, a, a treasure, an American treasure, uh, kind of like the other, you, you can think of some other, uh, some of the Motown artists that are sort of similar uh, Aretha Franklin also from a from a very gospel oriented background and it's interesting to look at that because it it really highlights how the church has contributed to culture in ways that we don't often think about uh in including uh rock and roll music R&B music the, there's a heavy gospel influence in there and it, it it's interesting that as we've gone along uh, there's a lot of folks who still sort of ape the form of the music and and sort of uh, take uh, take samples from it. You know, uh, the staple singers. Uh, I think "Respect Yourself" has been sampled many many times by various hip hop and R and B artists. Uh, but but more and more, we're kind of coming up with this uh, this emptiness to the lyrical content. You know, the the staple singers, Mavis Staples, and other artists like her. Uh, back in the '60s, when they were singing about the civil rights movement and about those real uh, deep human issues, uh, there was real content to the lyrics that sometimes I think we just have lost today. Well, there's definitely a, a religious element to civil rights, to say uh, ownership of another human being or to put down another human being simply because they're a different race is intrinsically morally and ethically wrong. And that that permeates the music that the staple singers were coming out with back in the uh, 1960s. And it carries through to some of the solo work that Mavis Staples has done since the passing of her father, Pop Staples, in the earlier part of this century. So uh, she's actually released entire albums with uh, the likes of Ry Cooter behind the uh, producer's console that uh, are, by and large, civil rights songs. And without the without the gospel element, I think that uh, a lot of them would just ring untrue. I have to ask, what are the highlights for you off of the album? What are some really standout tracks? Well, uh, the the first single off the album is "Respect Yourself," and if you don't know that song, uh, I highly encourage you to get on board because it's absolutely uh, an amazing song that that tells the listener that they if you don't respect yourself then uh, no one's going to respect you either. So behave in a respectable fashion, 
and uh, the payback will be a hundredfold. What's your uh, What's your final verdict on the album overall? Thumbs up? I, I'm I'm assuming from you, it's a two thumbs up album. Oh, fantastic album! It's I could not recommend this more than uh, any other album that has been released in the last five years. Number one, you you have people like Greg Allman who recently passed away who gives one of his final recorded vocal performances. Uh, remember, this was uh, recorded at a live concert in 2014. And just to hear Greg Allman sing on stage with Mavis Staples is really a, a landmark achievement. Well, Bruce Edward Walker, it's always a pleasure to have you here on Radio Free Acton. It's always a pleasure to go upstream with you because, of course, culture is upstream from politics. I'm going to give you the last word today. Buy this record. Find it. Listen to it. It's absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Not only is it a a great compilation of songs that are historically associated with Mavis Staples and the Staples Singers, it also includes great covers of Will the Circle Be Unbroken, uh, The Talking Heads, Slippery People, another version of the band's The Weight, which uh, the Staples Singers, to my mind's eye, actually do the definitive version of. So uh, get this record, listen to it, and have it touch not only your ears, but your soul as well. What about the time you were rolling over, falling on your face? You must be having fun. And with that, uh, another edition of Radio Free Act and draws to a close. Lots of people to thank today. Uh, first of all, Thomas Kidd of Baylor University. Thank you so much for joining us here on Radio Free Act. And you can pick up a copy of his book, Benjamin Franklin, The Religious Life of a Founding Father. Uh, you can pick that up on Amazon.com. Just do a search for Benjamin Franklin, The Religious Life of a Founding Father. You can get Kindle edition. You can get a hardcover. And it's a great book. Also, thank you to uh, Bruce Edward Walker for once again bringing us an edition of Upstream. Uh, the album we spoke uh, about was Mavis Staples' I'll Take You There, an all-star concert celebration. That, again, available on Amazon.com. Just uh, search for Mavis Staples there and pick up a great album. Thanks as well to Daniel Menjivar, who uh, produced this episode of Radio Free Acton and uh, did a lot of work on it. We do appreciate so much uh, all the work that he does on the podcast as well. And thank you to you for joining us and listening. If you haven't subscribed to Radio Free Acton, do so. You can do it on iTunes, you can subscribe on Google Play, and uh, let other people know about Radio Free Acton. If you think there are people who might be interested in the work of the Acton Institute, the work of building a free and virtuous society, Radio Free Acton might be a good way to introduce them to us. So send those links around. In the meantime, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We will talk again on the next edition of Radio Free Acton. Have a good day, everybody.